uh, we are talking about the 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 morality of vegetarianism, right? So assume assume for a second that we were a, that we were able to let's say take care of humans first. You would agree that humans would be the first thing, the first the first species we should take care of. Is that is that correct? Um... No, I think all conscious things have pretty much equal value. I think that we pragmatically choose humans because we are humans and we're selfish, but I don't think it's morally more important to take care of humans. I think all conscious things have value. So, so, so right now, if we had, uh, let's say, a pocket, uh, okay, we had 100 starving dogs and we had 100 starving people and we had a, a pallet of food, um, where, would you, where would you say that... Uh, in your worldview that those that they should be distributed that way again i'd say the dogs would choose the dogs and the humans would choose the humans everyone's selfish but there isn't like it's not more moral to save one 100 conscious beings than another 100 conscious beings like if you're aliens and you're going to pick humans or dogs there's lots of factors you would choose are they bad humans maybe you don't like humans maybe humans are destroying the planet let the humans die the dogs are more not nice save the dogs so there's lots of different factors that would choose that's not humans don't have any inherent more value than other conscious agents i have to say i i, I am more likely to to lean towards the dogs <laughs> well don't come to south korea i'll tell you that we eat we eat Great. but okay okay so hmm. all right all right, so there's a lot of animals that are suffering and there's a lot of an animals who are endangered right now, right? And the vast majority of animals who have existed have gone extinct, okay? So it's in your, in your hypothetical situation, like we have to have a starting point, right? Where do we start if we're trying to create everything to be vegan and vegetarian? Like what's the starting? I, I don't get like, where do we start from there? I don't I know what you mean. Okay, so we stopped. So, I get that, right? I get that. Yes. But then, as uh, Darrington is pointing out, okay, what do we, okay, so we have um, the animals that we have, let's, let's say we have 100 cows, okay? Obviously, you're saying we should keep those cows alive, correct? Right. So if we were moral beings, then what we would do is we would take care of all the animals right. okay. instead of just killing them all. Obviously, we're not going to, and we don't have the resources to do that. We're going to kill them and be immoral. And that's also bad. Right. Okay. So I'm just, I'm just trying to understand this um, in your way of thinking. Like, should we then not gradually allow them to, allow them to die of natural causes and kill themselves off? That way we would eliminate their overall uh, suffering in the long run? Yeah, we should take care of them until they live their natural lives and nature kills them. Yes, and then, if we could. And then you could feed those to like the, 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 the animals that like the lions and the tigers who need to eat. You know, I, I actually like watching the, the Nature Channel. And so um, seeing, the, seeing the animals hunt on there is pretty uh, interesting. But as you said, when you see them in captivity, sometimes they just kill, uh, slice up the the animals, uh, slice up the animals and feed them that way. So maybe that would make more sense. Like you wait for them to die of natural causes, and then you feed them uh, to the lions and tigers. Or... Yes, that would be less immoral okay. than okay. just killing them. Okay, and so so let let's take that to an edge case because like so you say that consciousness is just something that you have or you don't have. Right. There's no gradient. It it's 
uh, a cow is just as conscious as a dog is just as conscious mm -hmm. as a human. No, no, like having consciousness, either you have consciousness or you don't have consciousness, but there are, is definitely a gradient of consciousness. So, so eating, uh, eating something that has consciousness, killing it in order to, to sustain ourselves is an immoral act. Uh, well, killing the consciousness is killing the why consciousness. it doesn't really make much of a difference. So what, what, where do you draw the line between what's conscious and what's not conscious? How do you define uh, best guess based off of brains and induction. So like a plant or a fungus or... Um... Yeah, we have no reason to think they're conscious, so I put them in the non-conscious things as far as I'm aware. What is a piece of evidence that would indicate that something is conscious to you? I'd leave that up to the scientists to try and figure that one out. I have no idea. Okay, so you're just saying if... if Because it kind of feels like we're making up this word called consciousness, we're arbitrarily assigning it to things based off of our sort of um, perspective of the world, right? If it does cute, th funny things, we like it, you know, like we don't eat chipmunks. We, we like to save cows um, because they kind of resemble us. But when we get down to like, you know, crabs and lobsters, we, we don't really care so much. We'll, we're happy to boil them alive. Um, and then when we get to carrots, we're like, who cares, right? Uh, throw it in the in the blender, and I, I guess my question is: is what makes the lobster more than the carrot and the cow more than the lobster? It has a brain and consciousness, as we understand it. Yeah. So if the carrot had consciousness, it would be immoral to kill the carrot too. But we and so anything that has consciousness, it's immoral to kill. We just don't have any reason to believe the carrot is conscious. It e might even if even if the ultimate response to that is either sustaining ourselves or maintaining. Uh, the life of something else. What? So it's always immoral to kill any consciousness for any reason ever. Doesn't matter okay. if right. it's if it, if it's to sustain yourself. It's a justified immoral action because you're doing it to preserve yourself. But it's still immoral. It's always going to be immoral. Because it kind of feels like the way we're defining this is if you have any constraint on a system at all, you're always going to be immoral. There's no. Yeah, if there's an unconsensual there's no, constraint, it's immoral. Yeah. Yeah. The the there's no progress that could be made. There's progress that's made all the time that makes no sense. Well, like, how so? Because, like, we're always going to have to sustain ourselves on something else. Star Trek would be an obvious example where they can just print food. Or just, or just vegetarianism, right? Yeah, so, vegetarianism, yeah. veganism. Um, as we gain oh. more technology, we remove our limitations. Unless our we technology can... and our science finds out that carrots have consciousness, and then we're fucked. No, because even then we can just print non-conscious food with Star Trek. So knowing or, something is immoral doesn't mean you're going to immediately stop doing it. Like obviously we know killing animals is immoral. We didn't stop doing it. I didn't stop eating meat. Like you could even take it a step further and say that the replicated food is molecularly indistinguishable from real food, right? And therefore has some, you know, could we could find out that that has some degree of consciousness. Like, yes, you, if literally you can follow this rabbit right, as far as you want without a no, way that's, to that's define consciousness. kind of just completely dumb. So, so if, that is kind of dumb. Too. We know we do we do we do define consciousness. Consciousness no, is quality it, experience. We have quality experience. That's consciousness. Carrots but you can, probably you, don't. Particles don't. Rocks don't. If you want to think rocks have consciousness, then yes, it would be immoral to impose on rocks too. We don't think that's the case. But you if can't demonstrate. Case, you can't demonstrate qualia. Right. Uh, I, I experience There's, it, right? We use induction. I don't need to prove you that you're prove, conscious. You can't prove to me that to. you experience qualia. I don't like, need to. 
and I can't I can't do the same to you. I, I don't need to. It's just induction. So I can, I can use induction to conclude you're conscious, and then say, okay, as far as can, I know, you're conscious. Therefore, I should apply morality to you. I don't need but, to prove it. But you can use induction to prove a lot of things that that aren't real. Yes, like if you don't God. use evidence correctly, Sorry, Isaiah. <laughs> well, induction doesn't work for God, but like science uses induction. Everything is based in everything in science is based on induction. Induction works fairly well. No science based off of evidence, which is induction. So, like the sun will rise tomorrow. What is your basis for that? Oh, well, we saw it rise yesterday, and what's the pattern? Oh, it's based on this pattern that we've seen over day one, day two, day three, day four. Let's create a principle that describes that pattern and infer about the future. All science is induction. no. I I can I can run an experiment. I can describe to you an experiment. If you wait to a certain time tomorrow morning at X hour, a a star will rise on your horizon, and and most importantly, you can take that experiment and you can run it independently of me, and and you can prove me wrong. You can say no, that's not what happened, right? That's what science is: is the ability to experimentally prove that your hypothesis is correct, right? Otherwise, we're just guessing no. at everything. You can hypothesize till the moon comes home. Unless you have an experiment, you have no idea if you're right or not. Right. So science uses induction. It looks at the past, creates a hypothesis, and then uses the hypothesis to make predictions, which are then confirmed. All of science is induction. It's using past experience and phenomenon to infer things about the future and then seeing if those things happen. So it's, now, it's all, all of science is But induction. that's the most important part, right, is being able to see if those things happen. You need to be able to experimentally prove. Right. That's, if you don't have an experiment that yes. can disprove your theory, you don't have a theory. Uh, right. No, you still have a hypothesis. So theories don't quite work that way. And you don't necessarily need disconfirmation. Falsifiability is one criterion of the philosophy of science. It's not the only one. But novel prediction, yes, that's that's good. Right. No, no, novel production, prediction and demonstrable evidence, right? So yeah. if, if you cannot, let's say I come up with a hypothesis. Um, doesn't really matter what it is, right? The very next thing that I have to do in order for it to be not pseudoscience is say, here is a prediction that I make and an experiment that could be run. And, and most importantly, if it doesn't turn out the way I say it does, my hypothesis is proven false, right? That's what an experiment is. It's the ability to prove myself wrong. And so if, if once you're outside of the realm of being able to demonstrably prove something through experiment, you are now off in Wu land, right? Uh, no. With, with Krishna no. and... No. Um, so hypotheses, all hypotheses uh, are just hypotheses. Like you don't... Like if you claim it's testable, if you claim I make a prediction, then yes, then there'd be a way to prove it, right? But it's still a hypothesis, like any other scientific hypothesis. Like I think you're started. you're confusing hypothesis with guess, and I think that that's a very no. If you'll no, excuse I'm, my I'm, expression, sophomore. So you've gotten most of the technological language here wrong. One falsifiability is not the most important thing; it's just an aspect. Um, you don't need falsifiability to confirm hypotheses. It's not required in science. Um, you do need novel predictions. That's that's important. It, the fact that you get them wrong doesn't prove your hypothesis wrong. There's there's lots of different ways that you could be wrong about the prediction and still have your hypothesis be right. No, I'm saying I'm saying that the the experiment has to be set up in a way so that it can falsify 
the prediction. It can fal fal falsify the hypothesis, right? Sure, sure. So, so but again, none of that, none of that's relevant here. So you, you don't need predictions when making a hypothesis. You, you can make a hypothesis of anything you want. That's just fine. A good hypothesis is one that explains the data. There's differences between good hypotheses and bad hypotheses. Um, it's it's not just testable. It's testable. Wait, what? What's what's the difference between a good hypothesis and a bad hypothesis? Uh, explanatory power, explanatory scope, uh, ad hocness. There's lots of different epistemological ways to gauge hypotheses. That's philosophy. Hang on. What, yes. So in in science, for for the record, it's the same science, thing works in science. What so is the difference between a good hypothesis philosophy. and a bad hypothesis? The exact same things I just listed. Okay. So epistemology, epistemology and its sort of alignment with uh, self-consistency is that, I mean, yeah, obviously not, it has to not, be self not having, not having a, a contradiction is, is also important in <laughs> right. theories. Yeah. Okay. Well, we found an agreement. Good. Common ground. Let, let me change this up here for a second um, because do you, what are your thoughts uh, on like crickets or worms? Uh, crickets probably have consciousness. Worms probably have some very small level of consciousness. And fish as well? Yes, definitely fish. Okay. Let's, let's set aside the meat-eating thing uh, just for a quick second, um, the morality of that specifically. Because I think one thing that we could, e even if we were to say we're going to eat some, some kind of meat, like um, one step would be to, to be a lot like an intermediate step would be to a lot to be a lot less reliant on on meats like like beef for example because you can you can you can get very a lot better nutrition from insects and it takes up a lot less space and has a lot less carbon uh, footprint than than beef you know so there's like uh, you could do all kinds of stuff uh, with insects. Sure. Uh, for example, you can make it into like bread. Actually, I was in Thailand once and uh, they, they just pull up with these cars and now they have roaches and worms and crickets and stuff and you could just eat them like, like it's pretty crazy. But, you know, a, a lot of places in the third world, uh, they eat that. So would that be like a kind of like a happy medium to, you know, to be more reliant on less um, less efficient less efficient uh, meat uh, for example like pigs and and because we would need some it's not like you can't you know you can't make giant steps overnight right you could wind up sure. having some disastrous consequences I mean Mao tried to eliminate all of the the birds because they were eating the the seeds, right? And so they killed all the birds and then the locusts came in and caused a lot more damage in the long run. So what would you think about that as like an intermediary step? Sure, like all progress is intermediary steps. Mm -hmm. Intermediary steps are good. So would that be, would you consider, would you consider eating a cricket like less moral, uh, less immoral or no? It's just the same level. Uh, it's still immoral. I don't, I don't know. Like if you assess the level of consciousness, you might want to consider a cow killing a cow, uh, more immoral, but I really don't care one way or another. If it's conscious, it's immoral to kill it. I don't really care if you want to establish a rating right. system. Right. So, but obviously we need to take 
some kind of intermediary steps to try and work our way towards not killing any conscious things right. and making us less dependent on uh, or something closer to vegetables would make it easier an easier transition for us. Right. Right. So here's one. Here's one's going to put your your theory into a big loop, right? What the heck do you do about the ocean, man? <laughs> because those things are eating each other all over the place. So you 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 would either have to just say that's totally off game, or I mean, I, I what are you going to do about that? You know? Yeah, if we had infinite resources, we would essentially stop all animals from killing anything else and just feed them like Star Trek food. So that would be the the more moral universe is one where we stop any killing of any conscious thing ever. No, no, I get that. I get that. But I, I, no, I totally understand the premise. But how would you even conceivably work something out like that? I mean, think about the the impossibility of going down to the, some of the depths of the, de the deepest parts of the ocean. Like that's not even it's not even feasibly uh, possible to, to engage in that kind of you would need like ridiculous amounts of energy and power that, that so it would seem if I'm just falling going down your rabbit hole. That would have to be the like the last step to that would be like the final frontier which would be uh going into the oceans to the and to the deepest parts of the oceans right so we would need a significant amount of technology that we don't have yet <clears throat> to be able to save every conscious being y yes i i agree okay well i think there's a difference between you know going out of your way to try to save every conscious being and living your life in a way that you minimize the uh, impact on conscious beings around right. you. Right. So it sounds like, like um, you're saying we're kind of just responsible for ourselves mostly. Well, so it's it's moral to help other beings. It's immoral to hurt other beings. So if you don't right. hurt other beings, you're not being immoral. But if you want to be moral, you would then go the extra step and then try to help mm. other beings. Mm. Mm. I, I'm still. If I were trying to live my life by this, I, I would find difficulty with trying to make measurements like, um, you know, does does a certain immoral act become justified because ultimately it creates a world with a greater moral um, value, right? Like, the, does the ends justify the means? Uh, no. So... It wouldn't be justified if it made things more moral than it would just be moral. Um, it would be justified if it's the least immoral thing you could do in the situation. Okay. And, and, and we're, we're not, we're not aggregating morality. You know, we're, we're taking each case as an individual case by case basis. Right. So right. I can't so say like, like by killing, by putting a bullet in somebody's head, if I go back and kill Hitler, right. And I save millions of people. I've created a moral act, uh, an immoral act. I've damaged a conscious being. I know that the Hitler thing is it was a terrible Caesar. No, it's, it's that's a perfect fine example. So <laughs> yeah, yes, killing yeah. baby Hitler would be immoral. You have killed one being and saved six million. So you've done six million moral right. actions and one immoral action, but that immoral action is still immoral. So it doesn't become moral because you've saved lots of other beings. Right. So we we can't just kind of sum up the total and call it, you know some uh a, a total more yeah a greater good yeah so so you definitely don't believe in utilitarianism do you no okay all right all right that's uh, at least 
at least you're consistent in this. I will say that you're, you're you know, um, it's right. So that would be like a justified immoral action. So you've done one immoral thing and it's justified, but it's still wrong. It's still immoral. Right. And you've done it to accomplish a bunch of good things. And and you don't you wouldn't see the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki as a um, like literally the, the calculations is that literally saved millions of Japanese people. And nope, I don't like my understanding of the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki was more a test of the nuclear bombs. It had nothing to do with Russia as far as I'm aware. The U.S. doesn't care about what Russia does taking over Japan, it really didn't care. Um, it was more a demonstration of power to the world and to cause the balance of power to shift. It really, I don't, I don't think they did it to stop Russia. I don't think Russia had plans to invade Japan and the nuking that stopped them. I think the nuking, it would have actually have helped them to invade Japan. Okay. Like if they actually planned to invade Japan, destroying their infrastructure, making it easier to invade would probably make it easier for the Russians, not harder. So, so what if, okay, so what if you were presented with the facts that um, literally at least 2 million people were, were, were saved, not only, not only um, Americans, but Japanese, more importantly, Japanese people. Um, how would you, how do you not parse that and say that, that committing one, one act right now is going to save people starving um, to death and being um, prolonging the war and stopping recovery? Because again, as I said, if we just take a look at it, you know, from the lens of history right now, they are, and you go there, that is probably the most advanced technological country I've ever been to. And I've been to, I've been all over the world. So that act helped them in the long run. So I, you know, and especially if you well, understand. Like if, if the options were nuke Japan or everyone in Japan starves to death and doesn't become the modern society, then obviously it would be like killing baby Hitler. It would be a justified immoral action. But I see no connection between nuking Japan and that being the cause of Japan's prosperity. If we didn't nuke Japan, it would have grown significantly faster and better. If we didn't nuke them. We, yes. we don't know. I mean, that that's the truth of the matter. It's like baby Hitler, the baby Hitler situation only makes sense if time travel is involved. You couldn't have known when, when Hitler was an infant that Hitler was going to be Hitler. And you couldn't have predicted the, the two possible universes that outcome from whether or not he lives or dies. And I think the same thing goes for Japan. Like we can argue day and night, what if, what could have happened? The fact is that one thing did happen and therefore we, we know it has a probability we have no idea what the outcome of not nuking um, Hiroshima would, would be. Uh, well, we actually do. So we know that the effects of nuking societies, we know what a nuke does, and we know what causes societies to grow and flourish. And most of it involves people and economies and uh, giving women education and healthcare, those kinds of things. And so if you destroy those things, we can use induction as a very solid basis to conclude that would have the opposite effect or regress society or make it slower to progress and so nuking the cities we can have a very significantly strong basis to say that probably was a detriment to japanese's growth and if we didn't do that they would have grown a lot faster yeah. and by the way i'm, I'm not pro pro nuclear uh bombing <laughs> i am, I am pro nukes <laughs> um, tom oh, God, I, I, i'm i'm just i'm just saying that yeah while well, we could make a prediction because it didn't happen, we we don't know what sort of butterfly effect type things would have ultimately turned out. 
there's a little bit of chaos theory going on there, right? Which is once you change something, um, it becomes very, very, very difficult to track with precision what the consequences are. So um, just want to be careful when we talk about like, well, what if what if we didn't do this? What if the EU wasn't formed or the, the UN wasn't formed? What would what if uh, well, you know a lot of things would have changed if things didn't happen exactly so, the way they did, especially during that time period. In in the case of Japan, you literally had the um, the emperor telling people to jump off uh, cliffs rather than being um, you know surrendering to the to to the United States. So by the time the nukes were dropped, you had you had um, Germany had already been defeated for several months. Italy was long gone. And what you have is they calculated how many people were going to die per mile they had to take. And it was, I, I can't think of it at the top of my head right now, but it might have been something like a thousand people per mile or whatever. So the, the calculations were, and I mean, this only, maybe this might have only been relevant in somewhere like Japan, who thinks we're going to fight you guys to the end. And uh, there, the, the samurai culture is, if we get defeated on the on the battlefield, let's just embowel ourselves, you know, so uh, disembowel ourselves. So I think it's pretty easy to, to see that this act, um, if you understand the culture and um, the overall history of the war, this saved lives in the long run. And I get it if you're going to say, that's fine if you say that that's, it's an immoral act that has the, the overall right positive. It, it, it's hard to parse this, but you would agree to that, right? Uh, no, from the history I've learned about Hiroshima and Nagasaki, the bombings were superfluous done after the war was essentially over and the emperor was essentially already going to surrender without any effects of the bombs. They really didn't accomplish anything in regards to Japan. It was really more a signal to the future wars. That was kind of the point. All right. I, I, I think we weren't, I mean, we weren't there and I've heard historical accounts that, that vary, but you're you're absolutely right i mean ultimately if if this is like a real-time strategy video game where you know there are no actual casualties it's all pixels um that's totally what you would do right you're like i, I have a super weapon i have justification to use it i'm going to demonstrate to the world not to mess with me and make all the other players consider attack you know reconsider attacking my base Yep, that's how um, war has worked for the human history before strategy games. Well, I, uh, I, I make the video game analogy because it takes morality out of the equation, right? Um, uh, sure, I guess. But uh, that's a, a, I agree with you. I think it was a strategic sort of uh, tactic. I, I don't think generals consider morality as much as they should, um, especially like America, who wanted to just blow up all of the Vietnamese buildings who potentially contained um, insurgents during the Vietnam War, right. even though they killed hundreds of thousands of civilians. Morality is not a top concern for America. Right. Well, you know, the, in, in the Korean War, I shouldn't laugh about that, but they actually just, they ran out of things to bomb. They like bombed, they're just flying around like, what do we, what do we bomb next? Like, we didn't even know, you know, so I don't know. Yep. I'm not going to say I'm an expert on this, but study the Korean, the Korean War, the history, and the Vietnamese, the Vietnam War, you can understand the, 
the slippery slope mentality as far as if you allow one domino to go off, it could potentially come knocking uh, at your door, you know, very quickly. Because this is like, you know, the United States had a had an idea of let's not get involved with wars until this, you know, the isolationism. And then and then we, we very quickly saw after that, that uh, if you're not getting involved, could really come back and bite you in the butt. So this is why I think with it with the animal issue, um, I'm fine to, to solve some of these things, but you got to try to think about things in a in a logical and reasonable manner with steps, you know. And that's why I was asking about the bugs and what you would do with domesticating animals and you know, plus the tigers and stuff. It seems like um, so so. Would you not would you not think that it would be necessary then? the meat eating animals who have to survive, basically like separate them, right? Separate them, feed them their meat of the animals that died by age. And then with time, you just gotta let them outbreed themselves so that they can't produce children who are gonna, you know, gonna need meat. Would you agree with that? Or, uh, or maybe, maybe finding a way to- Once we have the technology to separate all predators and prey animals, we will also have the technology to make synthetic meat to feed them all. We all we already can make protein-based synthetic meats that can sustain carnivores already. So if if we had the technology to literally separate every predator from prey, we would be able to feed them just fine. We, we're not even close to that technologically right, right. yet. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm not convinced that synthetic meat isn't conscious. <laughs> um, but... That might be a different story. Hey, I, you know, um, this whole conversation. So I, I met this guy when I was like 20 um, and he was a he was a vegan um, and he explained it in a way that really resonated with me. He said, look, I, I if I'm going if, if I need to survive, I'm going to eat meat. Um, but here in a society, a technologically advanced society, I don't have to in order to survive and therefore i choose not to because mm. that produces less of the, the things that i don't want in the world um and i just wanted to throw that out there i, th I thought ever since we started having the vegetarian vegan con conversation i keep thinking back to that guy and you know basically he just put it as like it's just a preference and it's a preference of choosing one thing that you think is will make the world a better place um, over something that you think maybe won't make, make the world a better place. As our technological limitations increase, we start to see certain actions that were once seen as necessary to produce life is no longer necessary, and then it becomes morally obligatory to stop doing them when they're no longer necessary. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. I, I misunderstood that. Um, so thank you for clarifying. So... I want to break this up real quick with some God questions, but um, if you were shown... God does not exist. God does not exist? Okay, so, okay, on, okay, so I have a couple questions here. From a scale of 1 to 100, how certain would you say you are about no God existing? It depends on the God. Like, God with self-contradictions, you can go up to, like, 100 or 99.9. .9. Or just a God in general? Uh too vague like i'd say it's still probably in the 90s because it's most likely you can conclude it's 
a human imagined concept and there's no reason to believe it any more than a human imagined concept. So like everything starts as imaginary until demonstrated otherwise. Okay. And so if you were showing proof of God, would you believe in him or her or it? Sure. If you give me proof. So what would qualify uh, in your, in your world? I think he mentioned the brick thing. Uh, if, if you could say, well, pray and a brick appears every time that'd be, that'd be proof enough. Yes, novel testable predictions. So just like any theory in science, if you have a hypothesis and you make novel testable predictions that are confirmed at a reasonable rate, that is evidence of your hypothesis. Anything else? Okay. Uh, if you provide some other method to differentiate imagination from reality, I don't know what that would be, but you'd have to tell me what that is. What about if you came on the podcast? Uh, if God came on the podcast? Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know if I'd be convinced just by seeing his image on a podcast. I think I'm going to need a bit more than that. I'm going to be like, okay, if you're God, I want a gold brick right now. I'm going to pray to you. Give me a gold brick. I, um, I think I can get him. <laughs> would you say that the overwhelming odds that like you would literally have to say that everybody who's ever thought of a, of a concept of God because it's, it's, it's has quite a range, right? When you, when you look at um, how many gods, how many pantheons have existed in all the different, um, you know. Yeah, they're all wrong. Okay, so I, I know you say that. I know, I, know, I know you think that, but you would have to say that you are right above everyone else. So that, like that, you don't, you don't find that that takes a, a degree of, of arrogance to, to say that nope. these other people have, claim to have a, a belief and they claim to have an experience and you're just going to have to take the, the the cumulative the cumulative case doesn't make any kind of um any kind of dent in your mind that's not a cumulative case that's a bandwagon so it's an appeal to ad populum fallacy so saying the vast majority of people believe something probably means they're wrong so like every scientific theory has for the past thousand years always been wrong they get better and better over time but they've all been wrong so pretty much everything everyone believes about the fundamental nature of reality is wrong um more wrong in the past but still still probably wrong not only that but it the, someone asked me once what's the difference between anecdotes and data and i said anecdotes are always a little bit different so every time somebody has an experience mm -hmm. with god it's different than somebody else's. So you, you can't lump in the Pentecostals and the Protestants and the Catholics and say, well, they all believe in God, therefore there must be something. They don't believe in the same God. Mm -hmm. They have very different doctrines and very different understandings and in interpretations. And I think even down to the individual believer, um, right. there's a different interpretations. Mm -hmm. So well, I think I think that's a part of his argument. So it's like if I said, yeah. I'm thinking of a number, guess the number, and you had every one of the 7 billion humans that are alive just guess a different number. And he's like, well, you're saying every single one of them is wrong? Are you sure? There are 7 right. billion guesses there. How can they all be wrong? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not, that's, you're, I think you're yeah, kind of missing the point, um, uh, Tom, because I'm just, so when I, when I when I said, when you think about, how long a light year is okay uh six trillion miles and you take the whole the whole universe well i, I don't know the observable universe you see it's 80 80 billion light years across and and i told you in the the, the universe in in the time frame of a day is 160,000 years in a second 
So you, I gave Darrington this example that you walk into a movie, you have a straw, you look at the corner of the, of the, of the frame, and then you walk out and you're like, that movie sucked. And like, like you've only seen the very small slightest bit of the, of the movie, maybe, you know, uh, practically nothing. And I, actually, I just want to ask you, have you ever heard of or read the, the book, um, The Invisible Gorilla? Nope. So that book shows, um, you ever seen the, the picture or the, they're like the, the video where they're passing the ball and this gorilla comes out and bangs his chest and he walks off Do and I. like, like 50% of the people. Yes. The, the psychological it. study that's yeah. done to show that you don't notice the gorilla cause you're focusing yeah. on the ball. Yeah. So, yeah. So, but they, they made a book out of that. So, but it's based on that experiment but it just goes and shows in there about how faulty our actual memory is and our perception perceptions are. And so for me, yes. after reading that book and after reading the book Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, you read that one? Nope. So that one and Freakonomics, if you get an opportunity, I really highly suggest you, you look into those because those three books, the combination of those is like a trinity of, of reason for me that Hey, I probably don't know nearly as much as what I think I do. There's been it, it shows in there, for example, how we take memory. So there's a there's a quote from Thomas Edison: "We only know one millionth of one percent of anything," and it's a pretty good pretty good quote that expresses that point. Yeah, well, so I mean, to say that you have a, a good idea about something that's outside of even what we can observe is a little bit uh, pretentious, I think. Right. But I do have a very good idea of human imagination. And so all of the different concepts humans have come up with like a God mm -hmm. are very well explained as a figment of human imagination. So if you say, do unicorns exist? I can say, no. Do you know everything about the universe? No, but I do know how your imagination works. And I can very, very highly conclude that that idea of a unicorn is just something made up in your head. Mm -hmm. So we, I don't need to know everything about the universe. I just need to know about the idea itself. Where did it come from? What's its justification? It seems like it's just a figment of human imagination. And I have very good reason to believe it's a figment of human imagination and nothing more. Okay. So I think, I think my part in this and maybe, maybe being raised a Mormon kind of broke me in a lot of ways because, um, so once you realize that you're in a cult and that the things that you believe are fundamentally lies, um, it becomes very easy to look to, to point out other other frauds, right? Because you're you're just now you're gun shy, so you're looking for it. Um, so like then then I go out into the world and I look to find another religion um, because I want to believe. And there's a whole bunch of different churches all selling me a, a different version of the same thing, and nobody can kind of provide anything that lifts them above the rest of the of the crowd right everybody kind of ultimately has the same story um and th that's where you end up you know in my case landing on atheism but um that that's actually a the what we don't know to me through that lens is representative of a bigger problem that religion has. And I don't think that that's an argument for God. I think it's actually kind of an argument against God. God what we don't, well, no, what we don't know is so huge that it could just as easily be Azathoth, 
right. or just a feature of nature that we haven't discovered yet. Or something that our minds just could never contemplate mm -hmm. because of its architecture. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, like we we just never come up with the idea because it's so out there. Like something, uh, someone says it's like bigger than God, right? Bigger so God. like, interesting. So well, because because God in my mind is is kind of small. It's defined as a a creator deity who, you know, listens to your prayers and and cares about you. But you can imagine something slightly bigger, which has almost no care whatsoever about us that is just the infinite and the infinite blows your mind right mm -hmm. like anyway go ahead sorry no so, get off my soapbox no 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 that's great Darrington. thank you i really appreciate that input um the thing is is that first of all i really appreciate your channel um tom and i hope you don't mind us featuring your channel on ours uh we haven't featured sure. anyone yet but I, I think the respect that you have, the, the logic, the rationality, I'm damn near uh, in admiration of that. Thanks. Um, because there's been a lot of stuff that people are either attacking people's either mental health or, um, you know, their intelligence. Say you, I have suffered from brain damage or something like that, psych psychosis. Um, People are even talking about when I was interviewed, people were even talking about my facial hair. Like, does that, does that have to do with anything? You know, uh, when I came on your channel. So, um, but, you know, I think you have a very, very respectful platform. And uh, for me, I, I, I made it very clear, not only when you contacted me via email, but also right out of the gate. Like, I, this is not a premise I think I can prove to you. Uh, certainly not, certainly not to what you are going to be convinced by. For me, you could have made any argument under the sun uh, for God. And I, I actually, he actually spoke to me before I became a Christian, a God. And, and it didn't change my mind one sense of the word, one iota. I became completely convinced that he existed and I didn't want to give my life to him. So when I had an experience with him, which we actually happened to be on on the seventh year anniversary, like uh, that was a life changing, that changed the utter trajectory of my life. So what you would need to be convinced of God, I cannot provide that to you. That's something only um, a being outside of my understanding totally uh, is going to give that to you. And so I'm very honest in saying there's a lot of these questions. Darrington and I, we throw around some scenarios and we kind of just bang some stuff out. And um, I thought about renaming this like parallax switch, just seeing things from a different perspective. So Darrington is like, Darrington is worth his weight in gold. I hate seeing him all the time on TV, on, on the camera though. He has this beautiful hair and I'm bald. But so it's kind of hard, makes me hard to believe in God sometimes. So I'm like, uh, I'm the Christian here and I don't have any hair. But but really, though, um, I think just seeing things from a different perspective, though, is good. It's healthy. And I think that's what you're doing with your channel. Sure. Thanks. Appreciate it. Yeah. So I'm just you know, we're running out of time. I did have one last question. Yeah, um, what, what would you do to make the world better tomorrow than it is today? What would you suggest to people? Um, for people in very developed nations, just stop eating meat. Um, yeah. Vote Democrat would be better than Republican, slightly, very slightly. Um, a don't Trump kill people. 
Don't sense a trumpster or trumpet. <laughs> do, do, do not, do not, do not even suggest. <sighs> I, I, I have custom made tailored masks for, so just to let you know how far away I am from the Trump camp. <sighs> the F Trump masks. They're, they're, they're very special. They let people know exactly what I feel about their right to not wear a mask. Yeah, I think on the individual level, it's hard to do anything. Like veganism is probably about as good as you can get. They're the moral, uh, the people who are doing the most to be the most, to make the most moral impact in the world are the ones who like are specifically not eating meat and specifically not harming people. They're do They're up. They're up there with the with the most moral individuals. On a political level, there's lots of things I'd like to change. Um, that's really more where I spend my time thinking about stuff rather than the individual level. You know what? I will say this. The most practical thing I think we could do for the world is we got to figure out some way to swap people, swap people, like study abroad, but just swapping like civilians. Because when you get to see things from a different perspective, like I've lived in Asia for 10 years, it just totally changes the way that you think, right? So for me to go back, and to interact with people after after having been into Palestine and stayed with Muslims and seeing how uh, amazingly humble and hospitable these people were, if you take your average person who like hates who hates uh, you know Muslims and and you put them in that kind of environment, it's going to take away from that bigotry because people people have bigotry in their hearts whenever they don't know any better when they're raised in a certain way. And I'm telling you, every every reformed Nazi or KKK member I've ever seen on TV has come about because they've met black people who totally blow away their uh, their perception that they get from TV or their parents or whatever. And there's a there's a documentary called um, Accidental Courtesy by Daryl Davis. And what he does, he's a black guy and he's converted something like 300 odd KKK members and it just came about because he sat down, he talked to them, he treated them with respect and went to their meetings, went to their weddings. Yeah. yeah. I I knew when I was a kid being a Mexican and seeing the KKK members uh, like on Jerry Spring or whatever, I knew that there was no way you could punch hatred out of this guy. Like I knew that back then as a kid, you could not punch this thing away. So understanding where they're coming from, I'm not saying you have to agree with it. That's why we have empathy. Um, you know, this will be the last point I make is that you just genuinely have to understand um, where some someone's fear, right? Where they have fears about things. Because I can tell you this as an American looking, um, looking in the world, living in Asia, I see it. These people are just, they're way more technologically advanced. They work too hard and they're 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 so they're they're just on a on a on a different level like they're i swear just go into china it just you'd have to go and see it for yourselves like with your eyes how fast they could throw up the the bullet trains and you can understand like as an american i understand that like we only have a short amount of time on the top so i actually genuinely understand the trumpsters who feel like hey we're losing our country i'm like I, I get it. I, I, I see it firsthand and I know that the end is coming for us at the top. And so it doesn't bother me. It doesn't concern me because I'm, I'm not like pro-America. I'm like, I'm pro-human, you know, I'm pro, 
It's like this whole Palestine thing. I'm not, I'm neither pro-Palestine or pro-Israel. I'm pro-human. I'm pro-both sides. So I just, I don't know. I think we just got to see things from the other people's perspective. I think that's the biggest thing. I think that's admirable, but kind of unrealistic. I don't, I think it's, it's hard to change people's personal opinions and subjective opinions. I'm more interested in solving poverty and hunger. I think that once we bring the world to a high enough level of an education basis, then most of the bigotry will go away that way because it's the sure. more educated you become, usually the less bigoted you become. And so I think sure. it's more important to fix hunger and poverty than sure. to worry about people's personal biases. No, I, well, we, I think we, we have a power there. structure problem where one, there, there is a faction that has leveraged the fact that people are uneducated and that people naturally tend towards tribalism and they put a lot of stress on the system to make sure that those people continue to propagate um and until we do something about that power structure uh we're probably not going to do anything yeah. about the education problem well you're doing your part tom because you're educating people you're bashing um ideas but not people uh destructive uh, ideas and you're doing a very good role in that i think this generation now who's able to more freely express themselves to other people is going to be it's going to have a lot more hope than the generations that have come before us the introduction of mass media and mass uh information is is as you know it's, it's a step in the right direction i mean of course there's there's a million and one different things we could do as people but it's just, it's not going to be any one thing. It's going to be a combination of a lot of different things, you know, a lot of different things we need to do to, it's like riding a bike for one day is not going to help anything, you know, but you have enough people riding bikes throughout the year, like in Japan, and that's going to reduce the carbon uh, footprint, you know, it's as simple, simple as that. So anyway, do you have any last talk, any, any last thoughts, Tom? Uh, thanks for inviting me on. Appreciate the conversation. Thanks for chatting with me, Darrington. Nice to meet you. Love the hair, by the way. Thank you. Uh, I hate it. I hate the hair. Tom, guy... what's 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 your channel again? Uh, T Jump, same T -Jump. as my name on the, the whereby. Yeah, we'll put your uh, we'll put your links for everything and. Um...